Hi, this is Chad. I'm so glad to be part of your journey towards product mastery so you can better develop products customers love. With this journey in mind, I am launching something brand new. It's called the Product Mastery Now Community. If you find value in this podcast, then this community is for you as I've designed it for listeners and with listeners in mind to get more value on this journey towards product mastery. It will provide you tools and resources to help accelerate your journey, a peer learning forum to interact with other product professionals, and many other advantages as well. This offer does end soon. Go to productmasterynow.com slash community to learn how the community works, what it provides you, and also to apply to join the community. Again, that URL to find out more is productmasterynow.com slash community. Today, we're talking about how to price B2B SaaS products learning from pricing examples. Joining us is Marcus Rivera. He's the author of the new book, Street Pricing, a pricing playlist for hip leaders in B2B SaaS. Interesting title. We'll have to find out more about that. Marcus is a pricing specialist with some deep roots in product management, serving in roles from product manager to executive senior director for product management. He has leveraged his experience to specialize in pricing for the last several years now, and he founded Pricing.io, which is a group to train and coach high-growth B2B SaaS companies on how to accelerate that annual recurring revenue. Remember, if you hear anything that you want to go back to, we do make a detailed list of show notes for you. We capture everything that we talk about, as well as putting together a one-page action guide to help share with you practical insights from Marcos that you can immediately put into action. And you'll find those resources at productmasterynow.com slash 409. Marcos, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. First thing I'm curious about, you have this rich product management background, and along the way, you moved into pricing. For some product managers, we never touch pricing, right? It's not in our purview. As we move more into maybe a product leadership role, we probably have more experience with it. But what happened, you know, to make that transition for you? <laughs> you know, it's, it's a funny story because it's, it wasn't on purpose, okay? It just, it's a, it was a natural consequence of something. So I'm going to be, I'm going to confess to you a number of things. One is that I started building products way back in the 90s on the AS400, if you can believe it. Yeah. So those are... Mini mainframe. Exactly, exactly. So I really cut my teeth on creating and crafting products starting with just basic integrations to other things like that. And every single thing I built, I had to price it. And it wasn't easy. I'm like, how do you figure this thing out? The value of saving time and and ROI goes so far. It really had to dig deep and learn how to do that because the success of my product really depended on it. Mm. So I, I would come up with these numbers. They were wrong. I was flat out wrong in many cases. I copied others. I guessed. And over time, though, as I started launching more products, I started evolving my products from on-prem to SaaS to cloud to mobile. I started finding other ways to price. And I started realizing that it's not as formulaic as I thought. It wasn't like a spreadsheet that cranked out and, and spit out the optimal price number on the other end. And those were some big aha moments for me. So, you know, several dozen products, I think I launched about 42 in my career. Wow. Later, I realized that, you know, there was a pattern in a way to understand value and capture it with pricing. And so that was the beginning of, of my knowledge back in that 90s, 2000 era. Yeah, finding those patterns is really powerful, right? When we look back on our work and we see what, what are the common elements that stand out? What, what were the points of friction? Identifying the framework to maybe make things easier. So no doubt your book contains these patterns, you know, put into practice as well. 
And product pricing is a topic we've explored a little bit just in terms of the tools available. I was curious about our time together. Certainly there's details in your book that we can dive into, but I'd love to hear examples, right? Some real world experience from you about what was going on in that situation. What steps did you go through to get to pricing? Where did you end up? And if you have some stories you can share with us, I'd love to go through those. Excellent. I am a big story teller, listener. I love stories. And I, I'll tell you this, once I, I really started gaining more momentum on understanding pricing, monetizing, and value, when I joined Vista Equity Partners, I was their head of pricing, but I was also their best practice leader in product management. So I got to see value being created and value being captured mm-hmm. and a huge disconnect between the two. Uh-huh. And I uh, wanted to Uh, really help a lot of product leaders kind of bridge that gap because product managers are in a fantastic spot or seed to really look at pricing in a in a very deep and meaningful way they're the ones that are creating the value they're understanding the customers if they're doing their discovery right they're building complete solutions to their problems and those are the things you want to monetize right so I'll, I'll give you a few stories in my career at vista with all the companies there and acquisitions i've done now close to 300 pricing engagements, right, with different products. And I was wondering, like, if I had a few stories to really sink our teeth, through, teeth into, what, which ones would I pick, okay? So the, I have three that I wanted to touch on because right. they have very different dynamics between them, okay? So the first one, and in, in some cases I'll tell you who the company is, in some cases I can't. In this case, I can tell you, right? It's a company that uh, I work closely with called MindBody. All right. And MindBody is a fantastic company and they have a great culture, great product, but they ran into a few snags when it came to pricing. In many cases, when companies go through their growth cycle, sometimes they'll raise prices to create some optics for the market, create some numbers that they need to hit for Wall Street, all these different things, right? So you raise prices without the data and without really having a good value story behind that. And guess what? People react. They don't like prices going up, especially if they don't Mm. understand it. So we had to step back and take a full look at, you know, how do we think about capturing value in in cases where it's warranted and raising prices in other areas where it may not be. And here's the real truth. Most companies, it's not just one or the other. It's always and. Marcos, I need to increase the number of customers I'm winning and I need to extract more value from my existing base, okay? Which is not an easy thing to balance. So fast forward with a, a pricing and engagement, we go through a framework I call 5Q. Huh. And you'll see this in all three examples. And 5Q stands for five questions. And the way you approach a pricing problem is actually not what you think. The big question in your mind is how much should I charge? And that is one of the last things you figure out. You have to understand okay, what experience are you pricing for? Who's buying this stuff and understanding their motivations? And then the why, the narrative behind the whole thing. Are you trying to go down market, up market? Are you trying to expand, cross sell, upsell? What's the big play here? And get super clear on what you want so you can get clear on who you want to attract. And then on that experience, and then you price that. And it gets a lot easier to do it that way. So here's an example where I first one with, with my body is we needed to step back at their experience levels. You all, you had, let's get all the complexity out the way and just focus on the fitness side of the business or very big business. And ultimately speaking, they had a few plans in there, right? And you didn't see a lot of differentiation between them. You saw a couple things here and there, but they've grown so much over the years with acquisition. They never really thought about how to really layer the value in their plans. Okay. So I started seeing that problem to go even further back. 
I started really pressing him on who do you really want to win? Do you want the, you know, the, the, the yoga instructor who's only a single solo that has a couple clients? Do you want the, the big massive chains like orange theory and all those big customers? Like who do you really want? All right. And why do you want them? What's the big play here? If you're expanding your software, how are you expanding it? Where's your value better than the alternatives? Okay. So you see how I step backwards here, right? Mm -hmm. So let's put it all together on the other side. So the, to fast forward through this, the big thing was, well, look, Marcos, we still need to grow market share and gain clients, but at the same time, we still need to lift the amount of, of dollars per client. So what we found is that in their base, some customers really were paying very little for the value they were getting. Others were right where they needed to be, and then the rest were kind of overpaying or at least paying a little bit more where they should have. So we needed to calibrate all that. So the big play here was what I call a neutral strategy, which is you have to balance the amount of, of, of pricing tactics you use to get customers in with the amount of money you're getting. So once everyone was clear on that, that made it step two. Who do we want? Well, listen, for new yoga instructors who don't have a lot of courses that are really smaller end, we want to make it easy to come into our platform, okay? Easy meaning low friction, not a lot, not a lot of headache and setup. And so you need a leaner version to compete and give them something they need. But without too lean to the very bottom, Chad, where there's like these free offerings or something for 10 bucks that you can go off. So they didn't want to compete down there. They wanted something where, hey, there's this commitment to each other. So that was a big piece to price that. And from there, they wanted another pricing point for those growing gyms, you know, like Pure Bar or some of these other places which can really see the growth in their clientele base. They're very hungry for more. And then you have the bigger, more mature uh, type of folks. So once we got nailed that in, in the who, then became the what. And that came in with all of their new functionality and innovation that they acquired over the years in marketing and growth and all these capabilities, integrations. And they were just, they didn't know what to do with them. And so we had to create different packages for that yoga instructor, for that growing budding boutique fitness firm or gym, for that huge chain. And once we aligned that, we were able to get and extract price points. And I'll tell you how we got the price points. The price points came from really three big areas. One is we did some analysis on their data to see from populations of customers who were super happy what they were paying, high active, highly engaged what they were paying, low active churned what they were paying and you can see these patterns and that was one input the second one was we ran a survey we talked to them we actually said what do you love what do you not love and then from there we were able to see the patterns of those that really were using these things and loved them paid a premium more than those who really didn't find much value at uh-huh. all okay and then the third one was a competitive deep dive chat so we looked at the big alternatives it's a hot space there are lots of other competitors out there and they were super aggressive but you got to be now that now that you understand who you're after you have to be very precise on which competitors you're looking at so you can have the right anchors the alternative for yoga instructors very different than an alternative for an orange theory Okay, so we use those points and you see what we're doing is we're building an envelope at the end of the day, all those points came together and it's like, okay, for this plan, it could be anywhere from 40 to $70. Now, if you're really, again, trying to bring those folks in, you go lower on that envelope, you go 49. Okay. If you really want to maximize and increase some economics and get margin, you want to go higher. Maybe we go 69 or, 50, or you want to balance it till you go 59. And those are the ways that we did it for all their plans, right? And the idea there is it's not 
a single optimal number out of some kind of formula or magic spreadsheet. You have to be very strategic with what you want, who you want, the experience you want to give them, and then ultimately how you want to capture that value. Okay. So a few questions for you. I want to go back to your five cues to make sure we, we get those anchored in our, our mind. But as you talk through that, this is very much of a, a product manager's kind of perspective that says, hey, how do we create value for the customer? How does the customer perceive that value, right? Which means we got to know our customer in the first place, just like we would be developing a product for them. So if we think about the pricing kind of as a product, a feature maybe of the product, we're really understanding the customer well. And you were looking at the different segments within the marketplace that you serve. And that related to how you know, we might package up, you know, in this, this case, our main theme for this, this discussion, right? The B2B uh, SaaS solutions that we have. So how we might create packages around that to really respond to the, what the customer needs in those different segments. And then we're looking at for the pricing for that. One thing I wasn't clear on is in this example, were there different ways of attracting customers like the very, you know, self-serve, low-end, low-cost up to maybe, you know, the Orange Theory enterprise or whoever it might be, you know, personal sales professionals that are, are engaged. Is that part of the mix here? It, it absolutely is. And so the go-to-market piece is very important because you can have from self-serve all the way to very guided sales-led motions, mm-hmm. right? And when you're thinking about pricing in the self-serve, the customer is kind of making the decision on their own. So the yoga instructor is looking at the website, looking at the price and expecting to understand, okay, is this really worth it for me? Is this really for me? And so you have to be pretty transparent in that in that sector, but also give them the ability to see what type of, of value framing they can get. And what I mean by that is, is you're investing $49, but that's really, you know, the cost of, you know, not even a, a, a full hour for a high-end instructor. It could be viewed as, hey, you're spending a lot more on this on lunch. Okay, right. so let's make sure we frame this in the right way and they can make those decisions, leads them to click on that buy now or, or start free trial now mm-hmm. and then get them into your flow. I have something special to tell you about. After talking with hundreds of product managers about their journey and how they grew in their careers, three levers consistently stand out. Frameworks and tools, structured learning and peer learning. To bring all three levers together, the Product Mastery Now community is opening soon for the very first time. The community will help you accelerate your journey and career. This is something that I've always wanted to help others with and something I wish I had as myself when I was growing in my career. You listen to this podcast because you find value in it and the community will amplify that value for you. Further, joining during the Founders Launch guarantees you the lowest price the community will ever be available for. You'll get training in frameworks and tools, live Q&A with podcast guests, advice from other community members, and more. Learn more about the community and apply to be a member at productmasterynow.com slash community. This is the Founders Launch. Check it out now. We do need to frame the value in some sense, right? To When I was doing product work and really closely associated with helping sales, you know, to be enabled with the product, we always were trying to create these ROI calculators, to try to communicate to the client what the value is here. Don't know if that's a good or bad idea these days, but the point that you were making is we have to make it make sense, the price of our service for them in terms of something they can relate to. This is a lunch for you. This is an hour of you teaching so that they can make comparisons that make sense to them. That's exactly right. That actually leads me to my second story in a second, but you're you're 100% right. It's really, how do you frame it and if you frame it the right way, it doesn't feel as expensive. It, look, as long as humans are buying from other humans, you have to take the psychology factor into play when it comes to pricing. Okay. 
right? So, so, so to, to finish this piece along here, the big end, or sorry, the, the big deals, big enterprise, that end of it does require this sort of window of negotiating. And companies buy a lot different than people, okay? They have ROIs to justify. They have big budgets. They always compare spends to other things like a percentage of their IT budget or percentage of marketing budget. So they always have to stay within all these, these crazy parameters that are kind of thrown at you. And so the sales guy, which I don't envy them, right, but I really respect them a lot. They have to navigate all this. Mm-hmm. But giving them a good pricing frame and, again, that, that zone that they can stay within really helps them to see where those boundaries are. And it avoids things like like rampant and, and random discounting, which leaves a lot of value on the table. Could also make it really hard to raise prices later as you innovate more, and it creates this artificial ceiling. It's hard for a PM to break through if you if you already established that from a pricing perspective. So in this case, I like to give a lot of avenues to give the ability to discount for things that they can get back longer term, hmm. higher volume, more products. Those are the three things, right? And if you could put parameters around that, give them a great starting point, a good value story, those are the, the key ways of winning in the enterprise. Okay. Yeah. So add some flexibility so that salesperson has some guardrails to work within to try to make a package that makes sense for the customer. Exactly right. And nothing happens until somebody's bu- somebody buys something from you, right? So you got to make sure you're able to, to keep that going. Yep. And every product manager out there, they're building value. The whole point is to create, create sales momentum and grow as a company. Okay. I think I heard five questions in there, but I'm not sure if I would articulate them right. Can you just tell us what your 5Q <laughs> framework is? Absolutely. Absolutely. So it starts with the why, 5Q. Mm-hmm. So the, the why behind the pricing is the big one there. Yep. That's, again, more strategic. And then the narrative piece, the who is now gets into the customer. Who do you want to win? Also understanding how do you break them up a little bit better besides just small, medium, and large, which I see is a really big limiter to your pricing. It's just small, medium, and large. And then the what, which is the offer mix. And this is what I call the experience because I, I want to get away from just a list of features. It's really everything from how they get started, the training, of course, the feature set, integrations, migration, support, everything. So I want to make sure... We're thinking about it as an end-to-end experience, not just a list of features. Big one for PMs out there, right? Then the next question is how. How much do we charge this, right? So this is where you get into the, do we do seat base and the pricing and all those pieces, connecting the dots with your go-to-market. So that's the how. And the last one, which is often overlooked, is the which. Which part of the pricing is working, which part's not working. And it's that iterative nature to keep on evolving the model as your value evolves. Yeah, which is really important. That's when the you know salespeople start coming back and saying, you know, we're we're running into this situation, we're getting friction here. What can we do about that and work on that? Okay, very good. Thanks for taking us through that example. You said you might have another one or two. Yep, yep. I have a few others. The first one was the medias because it was exposing the whole framework, right? So these yeah. other ones a little bit quicker. But there's an example here of a company, and this goes back to the framing conversation where they were really having a lot of trouble with selling their product. Their product, I, I can't tell you their name, but they, uh, they're they not US-based, but they also did a lot of commission calculations, which is a pretty heavy thing if you think about it. Commission calculations and making sure you're in compliance with the state government or the, the federal government or the you know whatever the province government. So the idea here was how do you remove this friction from sales? The customers just they keep anchoring them to something really cheap. Because it was sales commissions calculations as part of accounting, they were anchoring them to QuickBooks. And QuickBooks is they have a free plan, it's cheap, it's a few bucks, and they were trying to command a much higher amount. So sales, were they just resorted to discounting to make the deals happen, right? Which led to a lot of churn, 
Okay, so one big thing for everyone is if your go-to to win is just to drop the price and discount, you ultimately will, will see a lot of those customers end up leaving and churning, right? Because they're not buying for the value, they're buying because it's cheap. They'll just find the next cheapest thing and move on. So what we ended up doing was reframing the value. They had the value frame that 20K a year or 24K a year. And when talking to the customers and the willingness to pay, what we found out is if you really just broke it down to per rep, and when I see per rep, I mean per rep that you calculated commissions on and paid out, it was like three dollars, something like that. And so we say, look, it's not even the price of a good cup of coffee, like to, in order to do this. And so if you frame it on a per rep, per month, per basis, and it's like the price of a cup of coffee, now the conversation is different. It's not twenty four thousand dollars; it's three bucks. And the way you're framing that can open up different alternatives. Whenever people are spending money on something, they're also thinking, well, what else could I spend on this thing? Or what's the alternative? Or what am I getting bang for the buck here with, uh, with my budget? And so by framing it differently, you're also able to increase value perception, right? And that was just one clear example of, of changing that. And it really lifted their sales. It changed the game for them. Yeah, that's just presenting the value differently, right? And kind of back to the anchoring thing you talked about in the previous example too. And in this case, it sounds like it was you know anchoring to QuickBooks how do you make the value make sense to the customer again? That's right. How do you make it? In, how do you make it make sense in their terms? But in addition to that, how do you make that comparison anchor very easy and obvious for them? And that's the thing about humans is we're always comparing something to something else in our minds. And so, if you can frame and influence that comparison, you can also influence their willingness to pay. Now, I, I, I want to make sure I'm clear. This is no sorcery here or trickery or try to get someone to buy something they shouldn't, right? But uh, you could be mistakenly making your product look a lot more expensive and a lot less reasonable just by not properly framing it. I'm going to follow up on that, comparing to other things in a moment, but I want to hear about your third example first. Okay. So this third one here is one I like because everyone thinks that you always have to go down the path of this good, better, best model, which by the way, 72% of SaaS companies go down this model and not even SaaS companies, just companies in general, right? You have your, your entry plan, makes a lot of sense, kind of lightweight. You got your middle plan, which has all the goodies. And then you have like your big fat enterprise plan that, you know, has all the, all the fixings and extra services and security and reporting and whatnot. Yep. And it's a good model for a lot of reasons because it could really attack a lot of the TAM and it could be used as a great way to get a, or serve different needs in one simple to understand lineup. Okay. You also get the benefit of the Goldilocks effect because everyone likes to kind of go in the middle and not get too extreme on the other ends. But when is it not a good, a good tool to use or a good format to use? And I'm thinking about companies that have a lot more variability in what they're selling. So this is a, a company that was a fintech firm and they sold to banks and they sold to banks in Zimbabwe, to UK, to, I mean, anywhere, right? So these banks had very different needs based on the economics of their country, of where they were at and their regulatory and compliance that they needed to stay within. And so it created a lot of variability in what customers want. And so Good, Better, Best really has this kind of progression laid out for you as you move up in more sophistication, you move up in more maturity. It's a really nice thing. But what if that doesn't really happen with your customers? What if they kind of just stay in one spot? Or what if they grow in so many different ways that they look at your package and say, you know what, that looks good, but can you just remove these seven things? And I only want to keep these four things. So they really don't need that. It's not really for my business. And then it could really create a lot of dynamics for over discounting, what I overfitting and not being able to give customers really the experience they want. 
So what do you do? You just create more packages. And then guess what? Now you're trying to juggle with all these different options and packages, and it can get really confusing. So with this fintech, what we did was we shifted them to another model. This one's called Core and More. People also know about it as Base Plus. And what we ended up doing was saying, hey, look, everyone kind of starts at the same base function, right? They have checking in savings. They get in. They need something that tracks their account numbers and customers. And then you have these base like integrations and SLAs and setup. Okay, everybody needs this. I don't care which bank you are. But depending on what you need, we have these nicely defined bolt-ons that you can have. And that really helps us give us some flexibility on the back end. So it's simple on the front, flexibility on the back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, somebody made a joke about a mullet on that one here. It's like the mullet of pricing, right? But the idea here is you're able to serve needs at a much simpler starting point and and then create more avenues for those complex ones in the back end and that really help ease tensions without trying to force somebody in a package you're able to give them a bit more what they want and price for that growth so that was the big thing was a big structure change and i wanted to use that example because i don't want everyone to think they have to fall into this myth that you have to go down this three plan good better best packages yes it does work well a lot of folks use it but if your dynamics are like that one where there's lots of variability, that works for you. Yeah, that's sort of a good example, right? That we have this base that works for everyone in our pool, but our pool of customers tends to be pretty a lot of variety. And how can we then make it make sense and easy, not just for the salesperson, but for the customer to really feel like they're getting what they want. Anytime I go to a self-service SaaS type solution, something I'm buying online, that I always see that three-column pricing model, right? And the way that I have always heard this explained, the, the psychology is you're picking the anchors, right? You're, you're using the three prices to kind of frame in the mind of the value you're creating for the customer. And you want them to pick the middle one because they'll see the one is like, oh, that, that, that's too cheap you know, on one side. And the other one is oh, so much more than I actually need. You're trying to frame it for them. But I'm sure you have some ran into experiences. I listen to other podcasts where they're talking about pricing SaaS solutions. And I'm surprised how often the founders are talking about, you know, we just threw a price out there. We, we learned from our customers as we go. We changed it, you know, and then we changed it again. And I'm sure it, it wasn't as simple as they're just talking about it, right? And they had experience and insights. But at the same time, I'm thinking, Surely there is probably an external perspective here that could be helpful based on some industry experience and understanding of your marketplace that might be better than just, you know, what it sounds like at times. Let's throw a price against the wall. If that doesn't work, let's throw another price against the wall. Let's change up the package. And I don't mean to insult founders at all, right? Brilliant people. But it sounds like that the pricing is kind of an afterthought to the product and a bit ad hoc-ish. What have you ran into? I don't know if I'm overstating this or not. You are not. That is the whole reason I wrote the book, right? Is to help founders move away from that guesswork, get some framework, get some data, and let's make an informed decision. I mean, your pricing, it it really impacts 100% of your revenue. So it does shock me that the statistic last I saw was a company spent about six hours a year talking about their their pricing strategy, right? So. But but why is that? Why do they do that? They know it's important. If you talk to any founder and you ask them, is pricing important? They will all tell you yes, but they guess anyway. So what skips? Like what's with that? And I'll tell you my big observations on this. And again, this was like the whole impetus and trigger for starting to write this book, the genesis of it. It was, well, first of all, they don't have data or even know what data to look at. And they don't have a framework or structure to walk down. Okay. So if you have only data and no structure, then guess what? Then you're just going to be 
throwing darts everywhere. You don't really know what to do with it. You'll spin down in the rabbit holes. If you have structure and no data, it's, it's a, it'll be a fairly empty vessel because you really don't have a lot of meat to make good decisions on, right? So there's, you need both, right? And I think that's what folks are missing. And the book has both. And to fast forward a little bit, I have seen companies that have done well meaning they've sort of worked and iterated and guessed through their pricing and landed on a good model that helped them grow. But guess what? It didn't happen in two weeks. Right. It didn't right. even happen in two months. It took like two years to get there with all of their experimentation and, and data gathering. And that's okay. Look, if you want to go down that path and experiment through it yourself, be prepared. It's going to take you a good 18 to 24 months to figure that out as you walk through all the cycles, understand, interpret the data, change, and things like that. And then again, it's a, it's a path you can take. For others, it's like, look, if you have someone, a third party or perspective or somebody come in and give you a very direct and non-biased view of where you can and cannot extract value, give you a framework that you can then learn from. And one of the things that I think set us apart in the way we work with clients is we actually teach you how to price as we're finding the answer together. That's important because your product's going to change. Customers are going to change. Competitors change. You have to stay on top of your model. And you, as in the driver's seat, being the, the founder or the product leader, have to be able to continue and capture that value over time. Yep, absolutely. And I like that first example you gave us, MindBody, is, you know, from my perspective, such a product manager-centric example where we're thinking about the customer and what creates value for them. Kind of through that lens is where that example started and your model starts, right? Is who is the customer? What are the segments in there? What's important to them. So I like that. You mentioned this comparing to others that came up. And what I was thinking about was you as a pricing person must walk around seeing prices of, of everything and have thoughts on that. And, and I'm just curious how being a pricing person impacts your personal life, you know, from everything from, you know, looking at buying a car or going to the supermarket or, or anything, right? Out to dinner. How does pricing impact your life? I, I will tell you this. I annoy my wife so much. She gets she's probably like completely sick of me pointing out all these different pricing techniques. I'm like, oh, I know what they're doing. They're using Goldilocks. They're trying to wedge you there. They're using framing. I can see it all. And she's like, yes, but do you want to buy the steak or not, right, at the end of the day? So for me, it's, it's, a, it's something that it's a certain lens that I've developed over time. So I sort of can't help myself but like see – when I, when I look at, you know, the family plan from Apple, right, and, mm. and from Spotify and trying to understand, like, what are you doing there, right? You're creating a bundle. You're increasing the number of users in there for stickiness factor. So you're going to increase retention and know you also have more reasons to expand. Got it, right? I see what they're doing there. But using that, I, I try to then kind of relay back into my own mind to figure out, could this really help other clients? The idea is that some of the most interesting or more innovative pricing models, it's not always in SaaS, right? It could be somewhere else that you can turn around and, and up to SaaS. You know, they could be very interesting models. I saw one, one gym membership that kind of rolled in a, a personal training and some additional things in their subscription. It was called a step subscription where you pay a certain amount and then it drops and then you pay a certain amount. And then so what it's doing is it's you're, you're seeing this sort of drop in, in, your, in your subscription, but you're seeing an increase in value, assuming that the, the personal training things that, that took, they're using the gym a lot more. So now you see this nice value surplus that comes in and then they come back and then they, they upsell. 
into that surplus. So I thought that was really interesting from a gym's perspective. I'm like, hmm, okay, I wonder, could you roll in professional services and get something hmm. really interesting from a technology perspective, step them down, create value surplus, and then come back and upsell them again. But that was really interesting. You have to be patient for that kind of stuff though. But yes, from my perspective, I see all sorts of pricing and packaging and psychology tricks all day long. And I'll tell you the one thing I always fall for, even though I know it, is anchoring. And whenever, whenever, you know, my, my wife, God bless her, she puts up with me. She says, yeah, these boots were, were $900, but don't worry. I bought these for 300. I'm like, oh man, this is great. Thank you yeah, for saving me all that money. Right. It's a very classic. I fall for it every time. Yep. Every time my wife goes to Costco or Kohl's, I, I always hear about how much money that we made, right? It's like, did we actually make <laughs> money here? But okay. I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> Very yeah, good. Okay. Uh, hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. Lo love the examples. Thanks for sharing uh, the insights into making pricing just approachable, right? And and through understanding the customer and, and value here. As listeners know, we love an innovation quote and wonder what you brought us and what does that mean to you? I have a lot of quotes. As a product manager by trade, I always love these motivational pieces. The one that really sticks out to me is don't compare your chapter one with someone else's chapter 20. And I love that quote because especially for product managers and founders and entrepreneurs, right? you're always looking at that, that other product leader or that other entrepreneur, that other founder that is already at 20 million or already at 20,000 customers. And you're thinking, what am I doing wrong? But, but the truth is you're, you're not making a really fair comparison there. You're still learning. You're still driving. Yes, there's a, a runway you have to eat, and you also have to make sure that there's another set of milestones after another. But the truth is that comparison is not a good barometer and sometimes demotivates you instead of motivates. It's very closely linked to another quote, which is com comparison is the mother of unhappiness, right? Mm. Which is you, the, the best way to make yourself either upset or demotivated or harden yourself is to is to compare and then feel like you're not you're not quite up to that speed, right? So right. I like that because you're a product manager, you are working on your craft, you constantly get better. All the best product people that I know recognize that they're constantly evolving, they're expanding their skills, they're making better decisions, they're managing, communicating better, and it just accumulates over time. And you'll get there as long as you stay consistent. So that's where I love that quote is, let's just make sure not, not to make a false comparison between between your chapter one and someone else's 20. I like that. Yeah, comparison gets us in trouble and we have to realistically set the bar at what makes sense for where we are right now on our journey as well. So appreciate you sharing that. So no doubt you have resources, you have this book, people want to find out more about what you have available and where we can do that. I am curious, Street Pricing, a pricing playlist for hip leaders and B2B SaaS. Where did the title inspiration come from? Man, this is a long story. I'll make it short. <laughs> Street Pricing came from a a realization that I am a skinny kid from the Bronx and the way I approach pricing is because I've done it myself. I've priced it right. I priced it wrong. I've done it so many which ways. I've had customers slam the door in my face. I've had customers, you know, triple their value. I've had all these different things. And I said, you know what? We need to start cutting through a lot of this fluffy theory and economic curves and things like that that nobody even understands anyway. Let's just get down to the real brass tacks, like what it really takes to monetize your value. And let's do it and let's 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 make it practical and usable and approachable. And so mm -hmm. when I did that, I linked it with my upbringing. I grew up in the 90s and I always enjoyed hip hop music and all the fun and all the fun songs that came out of that era. And so I started interweaving those into the book. 
And it started becoming its own thing. It took a life of itself. And next thing you know, it ended up being, I thought, a, a very uh, different perspective and take on pricing. It's a whole different look than a standard pricing book. And I'll tell you this right now. You walk up to 10 people and say, would you like to read a pricing book? I would say nine out of 10 of them will tell you no thanks, right? So I, so I had a lot of fun in there with the lyrics, the linkages. I put a controversial amount of charts and, and tips and checklists and, and quick hits just to make it visual and meaty and something that you can just open up and use. And I'm super happy with it. Feedback's been incredible all around so far. So I hope it's something that helps a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of product people out there. Excellent. And appreciate you making this resource. I know it's available on, on Amazon and we will make that link available in the show notes. Where are other places that you would have people go to find out more about the work you do and resources available? Absolutely. I'm really easy to find. You can see me on LinkedIn. We have Pricing.io on LinkedIn. We also have my Marcos Rivera page. But for the most common and comprehensive place where you can read blogs, you can check out the book, you can learn more about us, Pricing.io.com. If you go there, you can just simply take a look, look at our style, look at our approach, look at some of our success, successful clients on there and see if we're a great fit. Always happy to talk to you. So that's Pricing.io.com. Pricing.io.com. Marcos, thank you so much for joining us. Chad, thanks for having me, man. It was a lot of fun. And listeners, one more time, if you want a written summary of everything we talked about, including that one-page action guide with key insights that you can put into action right now that Marcos shared, you'll find those resources at productmasterynow.com slash 409. Everyone, keep innovating. Also, the founder's launch of the Product Mastery Now community has opened to help you accelerate your journey towards product mastery. It combines the three levers that accelerate product management careers, frameworks and tools, structured learning, and peer learning. Apply to be a member at productmasterynow.com community. As always, keep innovating.